is very different from teaching that was entrusted to him. Folks, this is why we believe. We believe that the eternal God, the holy God, before time even began, chose to glorify himself and display his grace by redeeming us and giving us new life. And we believe that his word is true. I've tried very hard over the past few years to teach you people some Greek. I don't know if anybody remembers it. You remember this word, homologumina? You know what homologumina means? It means we speak the same thing. It means we know what is true, and so when we come together, we speak it together. Now, we do that in this church by singing We do that in this church by reading God's word. We do this because we believe it and we trust him with our lives. And that's what we're saying when we come together and say, amen, this is true. Stand together. Let's sing these truths with one voice. Father, we're so grateful this morning for our sin nailed to the cross, our debt paid, that sacrifice that was given for us so freely by your grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you that it allows us to be connected not only to you through Jesus Christ, but to each other as well. And I pray over these next few moments as we consider your word, as we celebrate communion together, that you would clear our hearts and minds, that we would hear your voice, that we would know what it is that you are saying to us, that we might be awoken from our slumber, that we might be reminded of all that you have done for us and what you have called us to. That is the purpose of our being together, to hear and read your truth and to allow it to change our hearts and lives. That's our prayer this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. When we sing those words together, I'm, I'm consumed with one thought as I think about what we have sung in these last few songs, and that is that God saved me. And when I say that phrase, I want to emphasize the first word of it. God saved me. He saved me. My sin was nailed to the cross. My soul was healed by his scars. I had nothing to do with it. It's important that when we think about our salvation, as we come to this point where we we celebrate communion together, we give thanks for what Christ has done for us, that we recognize that it's his prerogative, that it's his action. It is his intervention that results in our salvation. I want to keep reading in Titus, read a few different verses for you this morning. Titus chapter 3 And verse 3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when Paul writes these words, he's reminding these Cretans, he's reminding us who we are without Christ, foolish, disobedient, slaves to our sin, ruled by hatred and jealousy and malice. Not a pretty picture, but there's a tipping point here. There's a hinge on which this whole passage turns. But, but, according to his own mercy, the goodness and kindness of our Savior appeared. How do we go from disobedience and hatred and malice to love for God and loving each other? What, what changed? Did we, do we wake up to our sin Do we all of a sudden say, oh, wait a second, I I shouldn't be living this way. I I can't be doing this. i got to be a nicer person. I have to be a kinder person. Do we just decide to take control of our lives? No, Paul says God's goodness and loving kindness appears in the person of Jesus Christ, and he saves us. He does the work of salvation in our hearts. Paul says, not because of anything that we have done that is righteous. Now, when we're sitting here this morning, if I was to ask you, you know, do you think that you're a righteous person? I'm guessing that most of you would say, no, of course not. I I don't think I'm a righteous person. I, I know that I sin. I know that I have issues. I have problems. I know that I'm not a perfect person. But I bet if we took a silent poll and I said, Have you ever done anything in your life that was righteous? You know, I know you're not perfect and you wouldn't say that you are, but there are times, right, when you've acted a certain way, when you've made certain choices, when you said, that was righteous. Probably most of us would say, yes, of course. Well, I'm not perfect, but yeah, you know, once in a while I do it right. But Paul says without Christ, that's not even true. There's nothing that we do that is righteous. Paul says it's because of his own mercy. What I want you to understand is that all of this action of salvation, all of this drawing of ourselves to Jesus Christ happened because of him. It was initiated by him in his mercy. And then Paul says the Holy Spirit gives us life. In that moment when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us life. Paul says we have regeneration. Regeneration is is new life. It's new birth. It's starting again. Paul also uses the word renewal here. And renewal means a completion of the process. Not only does God give us new life, Paul says, but he he completes the process in us. That's why we're singing that last song. We sang, it is finished. Sin is vanquished. The Holy Spirit has done a complete work in our hearts and lives. I have a question for you. Is it finished? Is it really finished? There are times in my life when it doesn't feel like it's finished. 
I know that because I still have sin in my heart. I know that because my pride and my doubt and my, my anger and my cynicism are still there. But it is finished is not just a song lyric. You know where we get that, right? You know where we get the phrase, it is finished? Who said it is finished? Jesus said it is finished on the cross. He said, it's finished. What's finished? The work of our redemption has been finished. Let me explain what that means. Remember when I read verse 3 just a few minutes ago, Paul said that we are slaves to sin. Our freedom has been purchased. That's what redemption means. Redemption was a word that was used often in this Greek culture, but it was not originally used to mean what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It was used to mean what happened in the slave markets of the day. Slave traders would go out into the villages and they would, they would take people. They would take people who owed a debt that they couldn't pay and they would enslave them and sometimes they would bring them to the market and to pay off their debts, they would sell them into slavery. So to get my money back, if, if Steve owed me a lot of money, I could take Steve to the slave market and I'd say, who wants this guy? He's a pretty hard worker. It looks like he's in decent shape. He's got a few good years left. And they would buy off his debt. They would give me the money that he owed me, and then he would be theirs. That's what the word redemption means, to pay off the debt. And that's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed us. He went into the slave market of sin, so to speak, and he paid for our sin. He paid the debt. John calls it that he is our propitiation in 1 John 2. That means the payment. We've been set free. That is done. We're no longer slaves. I'm free. You're free. Everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ. But in our hearts, we know that we still struggle with sin. That's true. We're not perfect. We wrestle with it. But here's the difference. Once Christ has redeemed us, when we sin, we make the willful choice to put ourselves back into an enslaved position from which we've been freed. You see, before Christ, that's what Paul's talking about. We were slaves to sin. We were filled with hatred and malice and injustice, and we were chained there. When we are redeemed, we are freed. When we sin, we willingly place ourselves back in the chains. It's like we walk back to the place that we came out of and we say, here, put me back in there. It's finished. Our redemption is complete. We're free. We're not slaves anymore. We don't have to walk back into that place and allow ourselves to be chained. Every time we sin, we make a choice to do so. But this brings us to another beautiful passage in Titus chapter 2. Listen to this. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See, the wonderful grace of God saves us, but it also trains us to turn away from our sin. Have you ever been driving down an old woods road or an old farm road? You know, the kind that has grass growing up in the middle. And on the sides where your tires go, there's a little gully worn. And you're driving along, and and if you're not going too fast, it almost feels like you don't even have to steer, doesn't it? You know why? Because of the grooves worn into the ground. And your tires stay right in there. You don't even have to do anything. It just automatically happens. And that's like the sin that wears these grooves into our hearts, these tire ruts into our hearts. We don't even have to do anything. It just happens. But God's grace, Paul says, doesn't just save us. It trains us to live a different way. You know what that is? That means we need to wear some new grooves into our hearts. We need to get out of those ruts of sin The word trains there means instructing us, educating us. It also carries with it the idea of discipline when it's necessary. The merciful provision of Jesus Christ has been made, and now we need to learn to live in it. This is the transforming power of God's grace. He calls us to live this way, Paul says, in this present age. In this age. In our age, Paul, Paul didn't know anything about 2021. <laughs> he didn't have any idea what we were going to be facing right now. But the Holy Spirit did when he inspired Paul to write this. And when we read it, and we read in this present age, it means right now. Right now, we're called to resist sin and temptation. Right now, we're called to resist the slide into cultural relevance. And we're called to fight the drift away from the bedrock of truth. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the Word of God. It's for today. And this is what we celebrate in communion. This is what we get on our faces and thank God for, is freedom from slavery to sin. New life, a completed, renewed life to be lived, the opportunity to follow Christ, and the grace to be able to do it. Paul told us that when we eat the bread and we drink the, death and drink the cup, we're showing the Lord's death until he comes. How long do we do this? We do this until Christ comes back. Nothing is going to change that. Folks, you know that there's a lot of people in our world, a lot of people who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ that don't think this is necessary anymore. It's happening all over the country. But that's not the command of the Word of God. God commands us to gather and He commands us to remember His sacrifice and He commands us to do it until He comes back. Has Christ come back yet? Then guess what? We keep going. 
We keep doing it. We keep trusting that His grace will give us the strength that we need to do what He has called us to do. And coming to the table unites us. It reminds us of our bond in Jesus Christ. It reminds us of our bond with each other as brothers and sisters. Behold, we're saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came for us. The song that we're going to sing says, He came for criminals and Pharisees and hypocrites. And we sing that song, we could say, yeah, those people, man, they need it. <laughs> it came for us. We're the criminals. We're the Pharisees. We're the hypocrites. I know that we've talked about this before, but the cross, the cross was an ancient torture device, literally. It was intended for death and nothing more. And that day certainly did not seem victorious. When the disciples were there and then driven away by their fear, when Jesus' mother was knelt down by the cross and watching her son die, it did not seem like a great day. But it was God's plan to provide our redemption. And even though they didn't see it on that day, on this day, when we look at the cross and we reflect on its meaning, we see victory. I want to encourage you this morning as we sing this song to celebrate communion with us. Without Christ's death on the cross, it's slavery for you and me. But because of Christ, we have freedom. And not only freedom, we have life and we have joy, and we have peace, and we have strength, and we have hope. Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The hope of his return in all his glory. That's the hope that we have been given. That's the blessed hope. John says in 1 John 3, we will see him and we will be with him. Now, I love being here with all of you wonderful people. And I believe that God is here with us. His presence is here. His spirit dwells in our hearts. But imagine what it's going to like when we do this with him, in his presence, looking at his face. That's what Paul is talking about that there. Until then, he sets us apart as his own. Paul says, a people for his own possession. You are God's. You are his. If you are like me and you memorize this verse when you were a kid, you know that the King James Version says to purify for himself a peculiar people. <laughs> now, some of us are peculiar, but that's not what that word means in that context. It means especially chosen. It means treasured. It means valuable. 
God looks down at us. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, and he says, those are my valuable people. They're mine. I chose them. I paid for their freedom, and they're mine. Zealous of good works. This is who we are meant to be. Is that who you are? Are you redeemed? If you are redeemed, are you allowing the grace of God to train you to wear some new grooves into your heart? Do you allow yourself to be taken back into slavery, or do you allow God's grace to let you live in that freedom? He makes us alive. Yesterday, Melody and I were reminiscing a little bit, and we were reminiscing about an old hymn It's called Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'm sure some of you know it. Listen to the third verse of that hymn. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Listen to this line. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That's what I need. I need strength for today, and I need hope for tomorrow. The last line says, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Folks, one day Jesus will come back, and he's going to reign over this world, and as his people, we will reign with him. That is our destiny That is the destiny of the true disciple, the true Christ follower. We're going to sing one more song together. Let's stand and sing it as we close this morning. Father, we're gathered here today as your people, a people for your possession, your peculiar people, your treasured ones. We want to say thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you that our redemption is finished. I pray that in the coming days, even today, even this very afternoon, that your grace would continue the work of training us, that your Holy Spirit would be active, challenging us, shaping us to be the people you have called us to be, zealous of good works ready to care for those around us, ready to share the truth with those who need it, ready to stand when it becomes difficult because we know it is true. We're here together, Father, and we are saying amen. Your word is true. This is our homologumina. We speak the same thing. And these times together remind us of that and challenge us to stay strong in the days ahead. Thank you for this time together. We pray that it will have been encouraging and challenging to each one. We pray for your grace and mercy as we go from this place. In Christ's name, amen.